Welcome to the Fundraising Freedom Podcast with Mary Valoni. I'm your host, Mary Valoni, and this is the place where fundraisers come to be encouraged, empowered, and educated on how to raise more funds and have more freedom. Hey, today we're in episode 178, and we're talking about how to pivot with my guest, Sarah Olivieri. And Sarah is the founder and the heart behind the company Pivot Ground. And she's a nonprofit business strategist, an author. She's a former executive director. And I think she's going to bring just a huge wealth of information to you guys on how do you pivot during this season. So welcome to the show, Sarah. Thanks, Mary. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I'm so glad that we got connected because as we were chatting, there were so many similarities in the kind of work that we do, but I love how you have such a unique, you know, work that you do that's so different from what I do. And so I would love for you to fill in the gaps, tell us a little bit more about you and the work that you do today. Well, I come from a nonprofit background. I've, you know, worn so many hats from secretly fixing the toilet after everybody left so nobody knew and that didn't become my job officially um, yes. to program director, conference coordinator, graphic designer, teacher, you name it. I probably did it at some point. I've been executive director, founder. I was once the first executive director of a foundation. So I've worn a lot of hats there. And then I actually shifted over into marketing and started, I built a marketing agency for nonprofits. And that led me right back into the heart of what makes nonprofits tick. And that's how they're organized, how they bring their people together so they can really make the biggest impact possible. And I found that so many nonprofits were just, they're stuck or they're, they move in fits and starts and they're struggling and their leaders are burnt out, overwhelmed. Just like I kind of joke sometimes, it's like they're opening their veins and just bleeding their life force into the organization, giving it everything they have. And I just found myself saying, you know, there, there has to be a better way. And I know from my knowledge in business, I've also started several for-profit businesses that feeling energized and having time in your day is actually a sign of making a bigger impact. And those two things go hand in hand. And that's how when I created the impact method, which is most of my work today is teaching people the impact method and helping them grow their nonprofits. And the impact method is a framework that really helps organizations run better so that they can make a bigger impact and so that it's all a lot easier. Yeah, so good. Well, and, you know, as we were chatting before this, you know, I love how you really get to the root of the problem because typically I, you know, work with those nonprofit leaders after they already have their board of directors, you know, set in place and they have all the systems ready to go. And now they're, they're just trying to scale and get bigger and raise those funds. But I love how you are really at the beginning phase of this. And so tell us a little bit more about just the impact method and how that has really impacted the, the lives of the nonprofit leaders you work with. Yeah, so the impact method is really based on three things that I think every nonprofit needs and every for-profit to be successful, which are a process of improvement. That's how we deal and adapt to change in an ongoing way, and also how we root out the issues that are getting in our way in a proactive manner so that so many nonprofits, right, are stuck in reactive mode, and they're like running to put out fires all the time, 
Well, when you dig out your own issues proactively and address them, you don't have to be in that firefighting mode all the time. And your issues become opportunities instead of challenges. So that's the first thing. The second thing is an actionable strategy, right? I was actually just earlier today talking about strategic planning. Strategic planning is like one teeny piece of making your organization run properly. And it's actually making that plan actionable where a lot of work comes in. So we want to have the goals and the tactics and like, how are we going to do it tomorrow? Like if you're an overwhelmed executive director, when you sit down at your desk, you need to know what to do that day. And you shouldn't be trying to figure it out on the fly. And the third thing is, I call it your modus operandi. It's how your organization is structured what and what glues everybody together. So what is that you know, core belief that your organization holds? What are your values or your guiding principles that are bringing people together in kind of a more general way? And then how is your team organized? What are your systems and processes? How is everybody collaborating and coordinating to work together? And there are some traditional ways of doing this that actually aren't that effective, and yet they're very prevalent. And there's other ways, though, to organize your people that are much more enjoyable and much more effective. So those other ways are baked into the impact method. That's really good. Well, and I find that so many organizations are just, you know, they're flying by the seat of their pants, right? Like they, they had this brilliant idea, they started up their organization, they got things going. And then they find themselves in a place where like, shoot, maybe I should have had a plan. (laughs) And so I feel like this is where you really shine and have the ability to come alongside an organization and say, you know what, let's, let's have a real strategy. Let's come up with what are our core values? What, what do we stand for? And I'm sure that there are people listening who are like, yeah, we, we need that. (laughs) So, (laughs) so real quick, I mean, tell us, tell us, you know, just based on your own, your personal experience, what do you think is working in the organizations that you work with, the ones that are doing it really well, what are you seeing in those organizations? Yeah. So the ones who are doing it really well, who are following the things that they should be doing and letting go of the things that aren't really making a difference, which can be hard because sometimes the things that don't make a difference for our nonprofit are still really impactful. But the ones, I'll tell you a story of, of a near disaster. One, you know, organizations who are doing it well right now in the middle of the pandemic, they're raising more money than ever before. They're high people, not firing people. They are growing, they're expanding their impact, their reach, and their base of supporters. So all of this is really possible right now. And they're also, they're not overwhelmed. They're not burnt out. They're taking time to address the pandemic. One of the things we do in the impact method is every month we kind of assess like how much time are we spending on each area of our organization kind of on routine things. And we're monitoring our total capacity as human beings. And when the pandemic hit, we added in COVID as one of the elements. How much of our time and energy is just going into that, which is an energy consuming thing, even when it's not a time consuming thing. And that really helped us monitor and create space for that really, that real piece of our lives. And and just by holding that space sacred, we're able to adapt and make sure that we have the right amount of activities on our plate. 
I really like that. I, I think that so many people have gotten just overwhelmed, right? And when you're overwhelmed, you just freeze and yeah. you don't get a whole lot done. And I like that what you're saying, the ones that are doing it well are actually taking the time to assess their time, their resources, what they're doing, you know, in their day-to-day lives and figuring out a way to incorporate this new pandemic, new, old, it's, it's kind of old now, right? <laughs> so, a little, unfortunately, it's like, okay, we're <laughs> done talking about COVID now. All right. You know, but, but it's going to be around for a little while yet. You know, we know, yeah. we know that. And so we can't avoid it. And so being able to come all the way around this and be able to address that. And, you know, the thing that I love about the work that you do is that you really kind of hold space for this. And I feel like I do the same, you know, when it comes to fundraising is that I can kind of shut down all the noise for a moment. And just for, you know, for this, the space that we hold together, we can actually just address really what are the problems? What do we need to do to move forward and kind of tackle this one at a time? And I mean, are you seeing what, what is some of the things that you're seeing in the ones that are just absolutely losing their minds? (laughs) What what are they doing that we should absolutely, we should avoid right now? Right. Well, I love that you said holding space, then probably then, you know, there's so many ways in which nonprofits can improve, but the number one one area where I see where they're just blowing it again and again is they overload their plates. They try to do too much at once. And when we try to do too much at once, or when we try to rush, that's another name for it sometimes, we actually go slower and we become inefficient. And it's not just that we're not getting, it's because we're doing so many things. It's because we spend time, brain time transitioning from one activity to another, and we lose a ton of our time switching between tasks. So it's really important not to overload your plate. And we have just that opposite reaction. Often like when we're in crisis mode, we're like, oh, we're going to do everything all at once. No, that's the time to slow down and say, which one thing is best for me to work on first? Which one thing will act as a stepping stone, will build momentum for the next thing? So overloading their plates is a huge thing. Another thing is getting distracted, losing focus on what's important. I think it's Stephen Covey who said, the main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. And in times of crisis, that can be harder, a lot harder. I had one client who fortunately we, we had an intervention, but they are an organization who serves other nonprofits. And one of their partners who serves people directly went under. And so this this client of mine was thinking, oh, well, I'll just serve those people directly. And I said, well, that might feel like what your heart is driven to. Going from a, a what's essentially a business to business model, a nonprofit that serves other nonprofits to a nonprofit that serves individuals, that's like starting a whole new nonprofit. This is not a little change. And so, but at first the instinct was like, this is just one small thing. We're kind of doing this already, but not really. They didn't really have the infrastructure or the support base to be taking on those really different types of activities. So it's important to keep some context around what it is, what's your focus and what is the context in which you're able to operate. And don't leave that unless you've made a plan to leave that. Yeah, well, and so many nonprofit leaders are 
they're just so kind, right? Yes. <laughs> just, oh my God. <laughs> such good people. I mean, every one of you, you know, listening, I mean, you guys are amazing people and you, you want, you would, you would take the shirt off your back. You would, you know, bring people into your home. And so many of you guys do that already. And I, I think it's absolutely incredible, but I think for both Sarah and I, it's oftentimes where we're trying to protect you from yourself, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's like one of those things in the short term that feels like that's really helping, but in the long term, if you're leading an organization, even if it's just you and you're a solo ED doing everything, you have to look out for that overall impact. And oftentimes that sacrifice you make to help that one person will lead to many more people not being helped. And that's that's hard on the heartstrings to make those decisions. Yeah, for sure. And I just to highlight the the first point that you made there about just overloading your plate and you know switch tasking. Um, the statistic right now, so it basically says that it takes 11 minutes to switch between one project to the next or one task to the next. And so, and I know so many nonprofit leaders, it's like somebody's knocking on the door or the phone's ringing or, you know, somebody's demanding of their attention. And so they're switching tasking all the time. Right. So I mean, three tasks, that's 30 minutes right there. Exactly. <laughs> Six, and then we that's wonder, an hour. <laughs> and then we wonder why we're exhausted and why, why you're so tired. You know, right. so I think that that's really great to address that, you know, just trying to figure out a way that you can really just stay focused on what you're called to. And that was one of the major things that I had recommended during, you know, some of these previous episodes is just getting back to the basics, you know, really getting down to the foundation of what you do and what you stand for. And I think that your vision can really help with that. You know, if you have such a clear vision and, and you, you mentioned that it's like that, the core beliefs, the glue, you know, that, that, that matters so much. So anyway, so, so many of our, our listeners, they are startups, you know, they're just getting started. They're, you know, trying to maybe grow and take it to the next level. What advice would you give to someone who's just getting started or, you know, someone who's trying to raise more funds and they're just trying to get to that next stage of, of their organization? Well, staying focused is, is one thing that I'd really recommend. And a lot of people ask me, well, Sarah, if it's, if I'm the only one, like, how do I get out of being overwhelmed? How do I stay focused? And the first the first step is to take things off your plate and throw them in the fireproof garbage can that I am now virtually handing you because their fires will burn themselves out. That is the best way to get some more time and focus back in your day is to just stop doing some things, eliminate them. And that works even if you don't have anybody to delegate to. After that, you know, do get somebody to delegate to, um, or at least get a machine as a stopgap to delegate to. So get some automation tools in place. You can't do it alone. That's probably my, my second tip is you have to plan to get another person on board with you whose job it is to do the work as soon as possible. So for most startups, this means probably you are the executive director and you need to be hiring an assistant as soon as humanly possible. That needs to be in your plan. They don't have to be full-time, but 10 hours a week, you I mean, it'll be huge what you can do. You full-time and an assistant 10 hours will be incredible. So plan to make that happen. Do not push it out. And my third piece of advice is think of your startup just like a for-profit startup would be. You're going to go through a planning phase and a funding phase and then a 
planning slash doing phase and then a funding phase. And you're not going to be both fundraising and doing at the same time until you're really big enough to do those two activities because you're really starting two businesses at once when you start a nonprofit. You've got your impact business and you've got your fundraising business. And so related to that, the biggest mistake I see new nonprofits make is they get a little money in and then they just start their programs as though they're going to keep going. And sure enough, before too long, they've run out of money, they have to cut back on their programs, and then they don't have any capacity left to fundraise. Do you see that, Mary, in your practice? Oh my gosh, yes. Oh my gosh. I Yes, you are speaking my language right now. So- Here's what I tell people for that is, you know, create your initial first plan, get your vision on there on paper. Maybe you in, maybe you reach out to one or two kind of quote major donors who are going to give you enough money to turn your plan into an actual, let's call it a, an alpha experiment or a beta test where you're going to kind of flesh out everything that your program should look like initially. Maybe there's two versions you're going to test simultaneously and then stop and fundraise for however much that plan costs. Make sure your plan includes the cost of evaluation. And then here's the really hard part for you heart-driven people. Do not start your plan until you have raised enough money to execute the entire experiment of a plan. And then once you execute that entire experiment of a plan, you're going to plan to stop. Your, your first version of your plan is not going to be indefinite, your first version of your programs. You're going to stop, and then you're going to say, okay, are we doing more of this, or are we, do we have to experiment again? And then depending on which thing you're going to do, you're going to go and fundraise for that all along, keeping in mind that at some point, you're also fundraising for your ability to fundraise more because you have to always be growing that side of your business as well. Sarah, that is so good. And I tell in a lot of my workshops and the trainings that I do is, you know, I I talk about how nonprofit work is twice as hard as running a business. And of course you've run several businesses and you've run nonprofits, you know, and just the language that you use there, the impact side of your business and fundraising side of your business, that is why so many nonprofit leaders are running ragged a lot is because they think, well, this is just like a business. I can just run this like a business. And it's like, nope, you can't. <laughs> like you really this is can't. So completely different. Running a nonprofit is so different. And so you really hit on that. And I, I do appreciate what you just said as far as do what you can afford. You know, it's really just back to like staying within your means. Mm-hmm. And not getting too ahead of it because I, I find by the time some of these people, you know, some of the people who are listening even come to me, it's already too late. Yeah. It's, it's too late to save your organization and you're going to have, you know, you find yourself in a position of having to shut your doors down or at least cutting back immensely. And so, you know, this was just really, really great information that you just shared there. I hope everybody's, you know, paying attention to that because I'm sure you come across organizations all the time that just get ahead of themselves. Absolutely. I see that again and again. And what you just said is what will happen. And if that's your organization right now, 
feel free to schedule a call with me. I'm pretty good at saving organizations, but I'm going to tell you right now probably how it's going to go. I'm going to hand you my fireproof garbage can. I'm going to hold your hand and I'm going to tell you to stop doing some of your services. And that's going to hurt your heart, but it might save your nonprofit. Oh, that's so good. And I, when I was working at the American Cancer Society, I just very vividly remember this PowerPoint presentation that one of our, one of my coworkers did. And she pulled up this one page on the PowerPoint and it was just vomited with a bunch of words. And all the words were all the programs, all of the things that this organization was doing at this moment. And I was like, how are we even doing this? How are we, how are we even functioning? And I have a feeling that that is the case for many of our organizations is that we do so much and, you know, with good intentions Mm -hmm. that it was like, oh, we did this project and then this project came along and then this person, this volunteer said, we should do this and we should do that. And then before you know it, you're like, shoot, how did we get, (laughs) get our hands into so many different pots? And so this virtual trash can, you know, and, (laughs) and I love that. It's like, yes, if you need, some people need their handheld, right? So like, if you need your handheld and you need Sarah to, you know, hold out the trash can for you, (laughs) she can do that. And I can do that too. But at the same time, I'm like, I think that you guys, if you're in that position, you know, take this moment right now, as you're listening and really look and, and have a hard conversation with your, yourself about what's working and what's not. And I think that that would help a ton. So, Hey, Sarah, as this is the fundraising freedom podcast, and I'm curious what your thoughts are on what is fundraising freedom? What does that mean to you when you hear that? I love that question. So it kind of has two meanings to me. One is that your fundraising gives you the freedom to make the impact that you really want to make to run experiments. You know, I think, unfortunately, the nonprofit culture is we're locked into we don't take risks and it's a world of best practices. And that couldn't be farther from what we need to be doing. Most nonprofits, I say they have a mission impossible. They're trying to solve the world's most complex, never solved before problems. And that means you have to innovate and you innovate by taking risks and running experiments. There is no best practice for solving the unsolved other than maybe the scientific method, right? Right. And so we really need to change that culture. And I think freedom and fundraising partly means that your fundraising is empowering you to be an innovator as a nonprofit. And then the other thing I think of is that that you find joy in fundraising, that fundraising doesn't feel like this side chore, but that it feels like you are building a tribe of supporters, you could call them investors, people who are trying, to, who are in it with you, trying to achieve the same mission that you're trying to achieve, but you're doing it through your programs and they're doing it with their money and you're excited to talk to them and think of them as partners. And it's not just like this, you know, oh, you gave money and I sent you a thank you note type relationship, but that it's an interactive, collaborative feeling of love that you have with you and your, with your donors. Mm, yes. And 
Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is so good. Yep. And you know, when, when I think about that relationship with donors and just the relationship that so many of our, you know, leaders have with their, their volunteers in general is that it is such a great relationship and no one person is above or below. It's just, we all have, some have more resources than others. Some have more knowledge than others, and we all bring something to the table. So that's really great. So Sarah, if somebody is looking listening right now and they're like, Hey, I would love to get connected with you. They'd love to hear more about how maybe you can help them pivot and implement the, the impact method into their organization. What's the best way for them to connect with you? Sure. The best way is just go to pivotground.com. If you'd like to speak with me directly, there's a big red apply button in the upper right-hand corner. You can click that and schedule a free consultation with me, or you'll also probably see a pop-up for my weekly micro trainings, or you can go to pivotground.com forward slash micro dash trainings to make sure you get that. I do a free live 15-minute training almost every week, and I would be happy to send you an invite to my next live training. We also send out the recordings if you can't make it live. So good. I love that we have, there's so many similarities in what we both do. And, you know, both you and I, Sarah, we spend a lot of time with organizations all across the country, around the world, right? That it's the wonderful world of the internet is that we can meet you wherever you're at. And so I really would encourage you guys to reach out to Sarah if you're struggling with your, you know, whether it's your board or your structure or just, you know, trying to get your arms wrapped around your organization, have a conversation with Sarah, figure out if this is something that would be a help to you. And Sarah and I talk frequently about how, you know, I mean, if, if people could really get the groundwork with her and be able then to come back <laughs> and, and work with me on fundraising, we really could tackle a lot of great things in the nonprofit space. So I hope that you guys will partner with Sarah, you'll partner with me as well, and we can really help you through this process. Any parting advice from you, Sarah, as these organizations and individuals really tackle this season and moving forward in, in these next few months, the largest giving season of the year? Yeah, what it's kind of an exciting time and giving is way up. You know, my standard advice is that good advice is easy to find, especially if you pay for it, because a lot of the best advice, it doesn't cost very much, but people who give good advice are usually committed to seeing results and they at least want you to have some skin in the game. But the hard part is not finding good advice. The hard part is following it. And so I encourage you to be brave when things are tough, resist the urge to just throw it all up in the air and go by your gut. Keep following that good advice just and return to it. You know, it's kind of like meditation. You know, you're not going to be 100% focused or following the advice all the time, but just keep coming back to it. It's never too late to try following good advice again. Mm, I love it. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for being our guest on the show. I just, I, it's always a joy to spend time with somebody else who is so passionate about the nonprofit space. And, and as a former executive director yourself, you feel the pain just like I do as a former development director. <laughs> so we see the inner workings of these nonprofits and we know that you guys are doing your very best with what you have. And so that's why we're here to help. So if you guys need that help, be sure to reach out to Sarah. 
be, be sure to reach out to me. You guys know where to find me. That's maryvaloney.com and be sure to check out Sarah, you know, check out pivotground.com and schedule a time with her to have a conversation. So hope you guys really enjoyed today's conversation and take the time right now. This is, there's no better time than right now to make that shift and to move into this new season ready for 2021. I know so many people are like 2020, see you later. We are done with you, (laughs) but 2021, let's make this the year that's the best year you've had yet with your organization. So, all right, guys, hope you have a great week. Let's go change the world one volunteer and $1 at a time. 